Hi, everybody. Welcome to Living Well with Abigail Steinharder. Torah wisdom to open your heart and deepen your understanding of life. In today's episode, we're going to expand upon episode one, in which we looked at a question about the topic of kavod, and we gave an answer. Today, our expansion is going to explain what that looks like, how to make that real, and deepen our understanding of this difficult topic of kavod. So, Sphira is a time that Rabbi Akiva's students, we know, they died over years during this period because they um, they failed to give each other the proper kavod. And we know that um, Lagba Omar is a hiatus, and here there we're celebrating um, the actually the petira, the death of Rabbi Shavar Yochai, and he brought a lot of light into the world. And um, we know that we are also during the sphere, we're doing something else, we're counting down or up toward the, recept- the receiving of the Torah, the taking of the Torah. And so, and also during this time period, we read, we began after Pesach to read the, to learn Pirkei Avos every Shabbos. So it's a good time to look at some of the ethics that are in ethics of the fathers. And Parak Dalid, which is two weeks ago now, um, even just, you know, just a, uh, looking at Parak Dalid, for example, but you could really look throughout Pirkei Avos and see a lot of mention of the topic of honor, of Kavod. And I felt like just looking at this one parak, I felt like the Mishnayas seemed to contradict each other. And in general, I think we receive a con- conflicting message in our chinuch, in our education about the subject of honor. And I'll show you what I mean. So let's start with a late, par- a late Mishnah in the parak, just to really set up our contrast. So we have um, Mishnah Chavches, 28 in, in uh, Pirkei Avos, Ethics of the Fathers, Barak Dalit. We have, it says that there's three traits that if someone has possesses those traits, they're kind of like out of the world, meaning they're not able to enjoy life. They're not able to live well. And those are jealousy, um, pursuing lusts, like being lustful, and kavod. Those things, they, they take you out of the world. So it sounds very... Dark. That sounds like a very strong statement. That you, if those things like plague you, then your life is not a life. Your life is, you know, unbearable. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I guess the question always is: And so, what should you do if you have jealousy? And that's a huge topic, and it's probably different than what you might have learned in elementary school. And there's plenty to say about that. But today's topic is kavod. So, um, so it says like it's. It sounds like it's. It's a pretty grave fault. I think it sounds pretty clear from there. Moving back up to the beginning of the parak, we have um, Mishnah Dalid uh, that says, um, like very strong terms, be exceedingly humble spirited. So same, same direction. Like, And how often does the Mishnah say, be very, very? Like, you know, when people are trying to fill their essay for their English teacher, so they write like very, very extremely you, know, you can't fool the readers of the Pirkei That's like, it sounds like wordy and it's clearly there for for a reason. So be very, very humble spirited. So it sounds so far clear that we should shrink ourselves, that we should diminish our presence. We should diminish ourselves. We should kind of take on an attitude of, I don't matter. My feelings don't matter. My desires don't matter. I don't I don't matter in the world. I don't have something to, 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 to offer. The smaller I am, the better 
the better a Jew I am. That's what it sounds like. But then it gets confusing because in that same parak we have Mishnah, let's say Gimel, right before the one I just read, where you say, it says, Altihi Bazlachal Adam, don't be scornful of any anyone. Don't be have a scornful attitude toward any Adam, to any person. So now we're saying, seeing that scorn and making small, making something small is sounding like it's not a positive thing. And then even like another mission there, Tesfat, um, So talking about the kavod of your student, your student's honor should be very important to you and, and your, your, your friend's honor even more so. So here we're seeing like honoring other people is expected of us and it's a value to honor other people that's important so it sounds so far like what we're saying is like oh so kavod is bad for me but it's good for the next person and that is a very difficult that should not that should raise a red flag because that that cannot be first of all you can't pour from an empty pitcher and if you don't have something in yourself you will not be able to give it out second of all if it's bad, you know, I, when I was preparing this, something came to my mind. I was like, imagine if you had something in your fridge that wasn't, you know, had gone bad. And so someone was, you know, looking through your fridge and they said, oh, ooh, do you, do you want to keep this? It's it's like, I think it might even be like, it's spoiled. I mean, it might be moldy. It looks like toxic. And imagine if you say, oh, no, I when guests come, I give it to them. <laughs> oh, I send that to my friend when she has a baby. <laughs> like, you you know, I, that's what I thought of when I was thinking, like, we get this idea that kavod, oh, I don't, I don't need any kavod. Don't give me kavod. Okay, that's actually correct, but maybe. But, like, I don't need kavod. Oh, but I'm supposed to give it to the next person. That that can't be. It cannot be that we're expected to diminish our own connection to kavod while being able to shower it upon others. It just can't be. So... Um, it's, we're kind of getting this idea that it's something, you know, great to be cherished and, and it's also something to be avoided, strict, avoided strictly. So, hi, come on in. So, um, just to make a, hello, hello, what an honor. So further, I, I, I'll, I will, um, I will, you know, make the question a little stronger by saying like, we, it's, it's important enough, this, 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 uh, phenomenon or, I don't know, this approach to life, it's important enough that every month, except for um, before before um, Tishrei, we, well, one of the few things we ask Hashem for in the special tefillah of Bir Kasa Chodesh, when we're, you know, um, asking for a good new month, we say, Chaim Shel Oshev Chavod, we say, ask Hashem for a life of wealth and honor. So we, we do ask Hashem that honor should be given to us. That we should have honor in our lives. Okay, so that we're getting, we're, we're you know, going back and forth in this. And the Vilna Gon says in, um, in the, on the Gemara um, Brachos 28b, he says the main form of kindness, the main gemilas chasadim that you can do for another person is giving them kavod. That is the main form of, 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 of chasad is kavod for the next person. So again, we're seeing this is something really not to be taken lightly. Giving kavod to another person is a huge part of, of functioning in this world. There's many more Mishnayos in this parak and in other prakim about giving kavod. 
So I, I ask again, if I must run away from it, right? Because actually there's another saying in Chazal that one who runs away from Kavod, Kavod will chase after him. But one who chases after Kavod, Kavod will run away from him. So that's all, a whole conundrum because, wait, so if I don't want it, so why do I want it to chase after me? And if I, it's just all confusing until we get to some clarity here. So if I'm running away from it, First of all, why would I want it to pursue me if I'm sincerely running from it? If I'm running away from it and I'm supposed to be devoid of it, how should I give it to others? And if it's bad for me, how could it be good for others? Those are all the questions. Yes? Can you define Ah, that is a great question. Because I, in this class, I'm defining Kavod as honor, respect, and dignity. But that, thank you for, for, for bringing that up. The truth is that Kavod is something more specific um, kavod is actually a combination of love and awe based on getting to know someone's traits. Um, I'm, I'm defining it more as like basic human dignity, not dependent upon accomplishments. That's how I'm defining it. But I know that there are those that would argue that no, that is not kavod. But I know that there is a term in Jewish law called kavod habrios, and that's what I'm talking about, which is basic human dignity. But it's good. Thank you, Irid, for asking for that. I'm using a word. I'm using a word, but I really need to define my terms. And here I mean human dignity. Um, well, brios is even creations. It's not even only human. It's, it's just something that goes to, on all of the creations, which is just um, dignity of existence. Okay. Okay. Um, so to, to confuse us a little further, just to make it more fun, Rabbi Yochanan in the Gemara calls his clothing mechubadai. He refers to clothing as my honor bringers. Clothing are um, for two purposes. One is to cover us, shelter us, keep us safe, uh, protected, you know, insulated, and also cover us for dignity. Like we thank Hashem in the Birkas HaShachar um, for Mabish um, Arumim, for clothing us and, and giving us that dignity. But clothing is also for another purpose, which people don't necessarily know, which is to make known what should be known. So um, that would be to um, show your 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 sense of your own dignity. So your station, perhaps. In fact, another Gemara says that a person should, I didn't prepare it, so I don't have the source here, but I do have it, that a person should eat and drink less than, than they can afford and dress as well as they can afford because clothing um, is an um, expression of our, of our station, I guess you could say. And it's to make known you know, what, what is to be known while is to cover what's to cover. That's the purpose. So those are the purposes of clothing. So clothing, Rabbi Yochanan, who surely um, wasn't, you know, uh, less, no, less knowledgeable than we about, uh, you know, ethics for life. He, he said that clothing are mechubadai, they bring him honor. And so, and that it's in there for us to learn. So clothing is to bring us honor. So again, we're seeing something about like bringing honor. So, Okay. This is the answer that I proposed actually in episode one, and I'm going to repeat the answer and expand what it looks like. The answer is kavod is a foundational piece. Dignity, honor, and respect are a foundational piece of human life. They are, it's our essence. In fact, David HaMelech in Tehillim 
refers to his own soul as kavod. Ura kivodi, awake my glory, which means awake my 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 soul. He's asking his soul to awake, and he calls it my kavod. He also says another pasuk in Tehillim, "Lema'an yizamercha kavod v'loyidom," so that my soul shall sing your praise and will not be silenced. And that's also his um, calling his soul honor. So um, it's our essence, our very soul. It doesn't just crave kavod. It's almost like the material of our soul is honorability. It's like we're made up of it. It's like it's the, it's not even the matrix. I would say it's the, um, it's the fabric. Honor, respect, and dignity are the fabric of the human soul. That is what we're made of. It's a foundation piece of human life. It's vastly important for everyone. And the only one who can give me covered that will actually be meaningful to me and sealed in is myself. So what does that mean? Somebody once told me she was very raw and authentic and she shared with me an experience that was really, I think it's very illustrative of what, what, what it looks like when covered is not built from within. She said that she was, she and her husband were honored by a certain institution at a community dinner and um, she felt like, okay, I'm finally getting noticed for whatever her contribution was to society. So she felt like um, she felt like a certain amount of like um, uh, pleasure. I don't know what other word. Like she felt um, gratification. And then the next week or two weeks later, another institution made their thing and they honored somebody else. And she felt like falling inside. She felt like, wait, wait, it's honor belongs to me. And like she, she, she knew it wasn't realistic to expect everyone to honor her, but she felt like this feeling of pain. And she thought, oh, wow, that's really telling. And she said, and when I thought about it, I realized that even while I was being honored at this dinner, I felt a certain distress because there were people who were in the restroom while they were speaking about me. And there were people that were on their phones or some people may have been at the table, but texting And I realized that distress that I felt was telling me that my need for honor was externalized and that it was so limited. The way that it could feed me was so limited because I I, I felt like, wow, something needs to shift. And of course, that honesty is the greatest thing. It's hard for people to be be honest like that. Um, A lot of us would rather just pretend, but this person had the ability to look at herself sincerely. And I'm sure that she progressed from there. So honor is not a poison that we maliciously, um, you know, save for our friend frenemies in our fridge. (laughs) It's not a poison. It's not something that we're expected either to magically produce to give to the next person while we're empty of it inside. No, it's an elixir of life. I ask, like, is it a Is it a poison or an elixir? It's an elixir of life. It's a magic potion. It's an elixir of life that we generously overflow from our own fullness onto others, which is a concept that we're familiar with, that we start from within and we can overflow things out to others. So in Shachris, every day, um, we we say in... in, um, L'david Hashem, such a beautiful tefillah about Hashem's traits, therefore human traits. We say, We say, Hashem, from before you, 
arises wealth and, and honor. Honor comes from you, Hashem. When we sense our own godliness, which is one of my favorite topics, when we sense that we have a spark of Hashem in us, when we sense our own neshama, and we sense that we're part of Hashem, we inherently know that there's something worth honoring inside us and everyone we encounter. So we do give honor to others, as many Mishnayos instruct, like a flame that easily shares to the next flame. It was a really nice example. Last Yantif, we, we had no flame. Our flame went out and we didn't have anything else. We went to our neighbor and they gave us a flame and the next night they needed. And it was just such a real example of how like what you give, you get, and you don't lose by giving. I mean, with a fire for sure, you don't lose by giving. In this case, we actually were able to give it right back, but it's not always that way. But anyway, so like a flame where I don't lose by giving. Um, so if, we, we give it to others like, like, you know, easily sharing. And kavod is good for me. Kavod is good for me. And it's good for me to give to you. It's good for me when I grow it. Um, I cultivate it inside. I cultivate an awareness inside myself. When I demand it, I need it from others. When I externalize that, that need. And I go around kind of like, you know, really with my hand out, hand out for a handout. Give me kavod, you know. How does that look? Boasting, you know, putting other people down. Maybe humble bragging, putting ourselves down, humble bragging, you know. Um, boasting, um, begging for recognition, becoming angry with people who don't recognize me or don't, you know, state you know describe my glory complaining aiming for fame above other above above other um values when i do that and i externalize the need then i will indeed experience how kavod takes you out of the world when we need somebody else something we cannot force someone else to give us you could even like force someone else to give you money, I guess, against halachas, losach mode. But like you could force someone to give you money, but you can't force someone to give you kavod because then it won't be kavod. You know, honor me. Like it won't be kavod. So it's it's the one thing you really can't force someone else to give you. So um, you can only give it. You can't give it. You can't, right. You can't, you, you can only give it, you can't make someone give it to you. And that's why I, my treatise was like, yes, kavod is so important. And the only person who can give it to me in a real way is myself. So, um, it's an exercise in futility to need others to feed me my worth. And they can't, (coughs) they can't because let's say they honor me today, but then they have to, someone else has their turn tomorrow. And I needed that so badly. I'm, I'm lost. So it doesn't work. Yes. I I hope this is not at a bad time that I'm asking this, but where does like feeling appreciated fit into like, or differ from feeling recognized, like beautiful question. Beautiful question. We all know we all need some appreciation. Exactly. (laughs) Maybe sometimes it's too, we need too much. And maybe that's the issue. Like, how do you define that? So that's a great question because we, we started off by saying that like, um, that if, if people, um, we, we gave examples of how, you know, um, seeking, no, we didn't give examples yet, but seeking it from somebody else is going to end up like not 
feeding you. And at the same time, it's a real need to feel that my efforts are appreciated or what I bring to the world is appreciated. So, oh, this is what I was going to say, that that if it's something that only I can feed myself, why should I be expected to, or what is the value of me to give it to someone else? That, that's what I, yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 right, right. So what is the value? So what I, the, the way I understand and it is- expectation, like- expectation to give it to someone else right we're expected to but if it's meaningless just if we're saying it only comes from me but it's for you but when you come that's the it comes they're honoring you and that's the appreciation that you need sometimes from others but it's not you don't need their honor you need that they're showing their appreciation Okay, so you're saying you're making the distinction between appreciation and honor, and there is a distinction between them. But you could fill in the same thing. Like, we have to appreciate ourselves. We can't only, like, right. base our value right. on other people's appreciation. If, right. you, if they don't say thank you, then I'm angry. Then I'm, I don't feel like what right. I think is worth anything right. anymore. You know? Okay, so I'll tell you, this is, this is how I see it. So first of all, we do have a Mishnah that says, Who is honorable? One who honors others. So it's almost like a, a, a medium to... Be honorable is to honor the next person if you do it sincerely. But that doesn't answer the question. It's still like, what's the value of honoring the next person if other if honor from others doesn't doesn't really okay? Because it's for you. It's like when you when you don't touch him, Hashem does not need you. To he doesn't need your prayer. It's for you. But so then I, I should find so, I should find a, a target and just put on a, like if it doesn't really do anything for a human, why? What does it do for me? Because it's making, it's helping you grow yourself in your own honor for yourself by giving to other people. That's the only way that you can give honor to yourself. You know? um, I, Is it giving not, to them if they're not receiving anything valuable? Right. Like, why did you find an inanimate object to, you know, just like worship? Well, I don't know if they need, again, what you, you can't give to, like they can't, you can't receive from someone else, Right. You just said that you can't receive honor from someone else. No, you, you can't, can't receive. Take. You can't, you can't demand. take. Demand, right, right. Okay, so so here, here's here's what I see. Like a happy medium. Like I feel like you you don't you could accept honor and be like appreciate that they see what you do, and you it doesn't turn you into being boastful and like you don't always have to shy away from honor. Okay, so the way that I, the way that I see it is that the 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 the, um, the goal is to cultivate in ourselves appreciation of ourselves as a tzalem alokim and a, a part of Hashem and uh, and 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 that and recognizing that our life has value and worth no matter what and the quality of our, our life will go up the more we invest in good choices and all those things cultivating a lot of this inner world and it is normal to need uh, maybe you could think of it as like the rain on the seeds someone else appreciating us does kind of oil the gears and so you could have a person who is so inside themselves and so much a hold of themselves that someone else's honor goes like, you know, like if I would have a page protector on here and it would rain right off of it. There are people who it really doesn't make an impact on them. Oh, thank you so much. That's so nice. And they allow you to, to, to honor them because you, they know that, you know, that's a nice way of being. But it doesn't like, oh, my gosh, now I have value. You know, it's, it's like a minimal effect. Oh, thank you. They know how to receive nicely. Thank you. That's so sweet. They're, they're gracious with receiving it. But it doesn't like make their day. But others who are still climbing the ladder of life will be planting those seeds inside of self-appreciation. And we still need the rain. Recognition. This, yeah, the recognition, appreciation. Also, recognition is not really about worth. Recognition is about contribution. 
I would say. So when someone recognizes the job you do, that is one payment of job, of work. Because we don't work for nothing. We work for money and we work for, um, you know, societal, um, you know, give and take. And so a recognition is a form of, of um, something that keeps us able to contribute. It, it gives us a sense of that I'm contributing something worthwhile or not. So I think recognition is not, you know, it's a little different than honor. It's like a branch of honor. And it is a very valid thing to need. And it's very valid to appreciate honor from somebody else. And that's why we, Hashem wants us to have a circle of giving honor to each other. And I'm saying the only way we can give it sincerely is if we really have it inside and then it comes naturally out onto others. It's easy and it's a pleasure and it's natural. And the reason why we're giving it to others is because it's normal for human beings to need that dose so that we can wake it up in ourselves. Because if a person is living in a vacuum from other people's responses and input, they, it will be very hard for them to cultivate that truth inside themselves because we are, people need people. Hashem did create us as social creatures who need interaction of others. And we're not expected to plant that seed, water the plant and grow it and have the sunshine and all of that without others, the input of others. We are not expected. But you can hear how that's so different than the begging mode, the demanding mode. It's so different. And and so it's normal to need it from others and to need uh, to need the, the kind of the boost, the you know, maybe that's the sprinkling of the water or that's the sunshine on the seed. But the seed of honor needs to be planted and nourished inside of ourselves first and and last and foremost. That's how I understand the role of the honor from other people. That's how I understand that. So um, I want to sh- share like some examples, what covered looks like, like what, what I've seen in my experiences, what it looks like when a person has that inner covered and how they look when they give it to others. So I had an uncle, Ramard Chashwab. He was known as the Tzaddik of Munsi. And his brother was my grandfather, father of Shimon Schwab. And they were two gedolim in their own right, different types of gedolim, tzaddikim. And the first time I met Remartcha, um, I, I, I was like very taken aback. I didn't know why he was smiling so much. I didn't know why he was so excited to meet his brother's granddaughter. I was definitely not the only granddaughter. Um, there was a lot of us. And I didn't know what he was so excited about. And as a whatever I was, a 12-year-old, I thought like, I was like looking over my shoulder, is there someone else he's smiling at? Like, who is he so excited about? I didn't know what he saw. And I I didn't really know who he was. I, you know, I didn't know he was known far and wide in his town as, you know, a a holy person. And I saw like this, like excitement over me and and over everyone. I was like, I I was, I was amazed. Um, There's many stories and legends about the way he honored people and places. I mean, he lived across the street from a military cemetery and he used to go clean up the cemetery because he didn't want disrespect to the American soldiers that were buried there. And he was an old man when he did this and he surely, you know, didn't have to be the one, but he just had an aura of honor to everybody and everything. After he passed away um, at his hesped, at the eulogy for him, my father, um, my father, Rabbi Schwab said that 
he 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 quoted a a Dvar Torah from his own father about Moshe Rabbeinu, and he applied it over here. It says that Moshe is a, was a, the greatest prophet ever. Hashem is describing him in his lifetime. He says he's the greatest prophet ever, and he he gazes upon a picture. Of, you know, a, a, he gazes upon a picture of Hashem, not an image, but he gazes upon Hashem. He's able to like see Hashem more than any human ever was. And the language that's used there is Tmunas Hashem Yabit. He's able. It says um, he's able to look at Hashem, but Lehabit is the specific type of viewing of from up to down, like habet nishamayim uray. So, you know, the Hebrew language is very specific and lahabit is not to look like l'os or l'chazos or, you know, l'hashkif. It's lahabit is from up to down. So the question is, why does it say about Moshe that he saw Hashem in the way that someone would see something that they're higher than the thing they're looking at? So the beautiful answer that was given on this pasuk is Moshe, when he saw a person he saw the tmuna of Hashem in the person. When he looked at another human being, he saw the picture of Hashem. Look how he honored Paro. He was commanded to give honor to Paro, who was so wicked and so evil, but this is a king and just speak to him with honor. And he he had a, a respect for his fellow human. And he, Hashem when he looked from up to down, because he was actually physically taller as well, when he looked at people, he saw the tmuna of Hashem. He saw a picture of Hashem on everyone's face. He saw human dignity. He saw Talamalkim. So the the eulogy went that my my great uncle Ramart Khashwab, he looked at every person and he saw Hashem in the person. And it's so interesting because I was discussing this whole Indian with my cousin Esther Ween, who some of you may listen to, and she disagreed with my definition of Kavos. So we had an interesting back and forth, but she herself, not knowing at all what I was going to say, said, for example, think about our uncle Martha. She brought him up. She just, when you thought, when you, when you saw this person, Kavod radiated out of him and on to the next person. Um, I read about Rav Arya Levine, the Tzaddik of Yerushalayim. And he was, I mean, I, you could read that whole book as an example of this talk. But one thing that came to mind I mean, he visited the prisons and he gave, you know, encouragement to very downtrodden people. You can't do that without believing in them. Anyway, but Rabbi Ari Levine, um, in his times in Yerushalayim, there was a lot of um, um, conflict between those Jews who were um, stumbling in their Shemir Shabbos and they would keep their stores open and people would get up in, let's say, in shul and scream, don't go to this guy's store. He is Machal Shabbos. And, and, and they would say, you know, like, you know, look at him. What, what kind of gall does he have to keep his store open on Shabbos? And it's true that Shabbos is one of the, uh, you know, uh, things that separates, uh, you know, uh, observant from non-observant. And so, yeah, it's important. Anyway, Ravira Levine, one Friday, he gets ready for davening and he walks to, um, doesn't go to shul. He goes to this store and he enters and it's close to Shabbos. And the store owner is like surprised to see him, but he thinks, oh, maybe he needs to rest. He was older and he sits down in the store and he's just sitting there peacefully. And as Shabbos is coming closer, the store owner asks, him, you know, does the Rav need anything? And he said, no, it's fine. Sitting and watching, you know, sitting in a Shabbos clothes. And um, as Shabbos is coming in and Shabbos begins, finally the store owner says, What's going on? What is this? So Rabbi Levine said, I have been hearing people talking about you, that you keep your store open on Shabbos. And I wanted to understand what goes on in your store when Shabbos starts. I wanted to see your perspective of why you are keeping your store open. 
I wanted to understand you. I want to see you. I want to see what you're doing. I want to see what's, what's, what's this situation for you. I want to understand your perspective. So I'm just looking. I want to see. I see you indeed have many customers and you would be losing a lot. And I don't know the rest of the story, but we can guess, you know, um, I think it said in the book that, you know, the person changed his ways and began, but it doesn't matter. The point is, this is how a person with covered addresses problems. This is how a person with honor for himself and others, you don't see the honor for self here, but you see the honor for the next one person. And, 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 you know, it's an inspiration to see a person who lives by this principle and how they interact with other people, with a different level of understanding. And the power of seeing another person's greatness cannot be uh, uh, underrated because um, our whole Torah basically is given to, is that we have today is, is because of someone um, being able to, to see someone else from this perspective. What am I talking about? So Rabbi Akiva, um, um, we know that when he was coming back the second time and his wife was trying to push through the crowds or was in the crowd and people didn't let her in, which we don't know why they didn't, he told his students, what was the famous statement that he made to his students? Let her in. Shali v'shalachem, shalahi, my Torah and your Torah is all hers. And we know that Rabbi Akiva's Torah is our Torah because he is the, he represents the bridge from those times into these times of, you know, keeping the Torah, bigger, bigger topic, but Rabbi Akiva is, is our bridge. So he, he, he says that Rachel, his wife, is the one who bears the responsibility for, for, for um, him to develop in Torah and, and all of his students as well. So the way I always understood it was that she let him go learn for 12 years and another 12 years. But um, I, I received another understanding of it. And to me, it's like, so now I feel like this is the, the shot of it. This is, that, this, this is like the simple meaning. She saw a wood, uh, what was he? A, uh, a, a, shepherd. a shepherd, a shepherd who actually had a hatred for, for Tommy de Chachamim. He hadn't had good experiences. And for whatever reason, he actually was spiteful toward them. And he said, if I could get my hands on one of them, I would bite them. He really hated Tamir Chachamim. He, he didn't have, uh, you know, respect for them. And he didn't have Torah knowledge. And we know he didn't read Aleph And he was already an adult. He was 40 years old. And we know that she saw in him certain traits, not Torah scholarship. <clears throat> and she, despite her father's threats that he would disown her, and he did, she married him and went to live in poverty. And um, she, and, and, and she, of course her father changed his mind later, but the point is the Shaliva Shalachem Shalahi is not that she let him go learn for 24 years. It's that she saw him as the person that had the potential that he did. It's so frightening to think what we can miss when we look at people with a small view it's, it's, it actually, you know, it gives us pause. When we look at people from a small perspective, we could be missing out on the next Rabbi Akiva. We could be missing out on building somebody and that somebody could be ourselves, right? We could be missing out on giving power 
to something that's only in the potential form. And, you know, I, I, I tell you, if I ever encounter a teacher that tells me, um, oh, this person won't amount to much, I shut down. I just shut down. I can't have a conversation. How could you look at a human being and say that they will not amount to much? What do you call much? What is much? And how do you know? And when I, I've had encounters where someone will say, well, I used to think they wouldn't amount to much, but I'm like, okay, you just lost me. A person has Salam Elohim in them. They have godliness in them. We don't know the potential of a person. Smart, not smart. You know, great attention span, poor attention span, anger problems. I mean, a person is a piece of Hashem. How could they have small potential? How is it possible? And the whole nother topic is that whatever weaknesses are showing up, those are the cover of the flip side for the great potential that's underneath. It's just not possible that a person does not have a great potential in this world or Hashem would not have made them. You know, when we wake up in the morning, we wash in the tail sedine, we're supposed to wash our face. We're saying, I honor you. I respect you. Your face is your panim, is your panim. It's your inside. It's your outside. It's your respect ourselves, respect other people. There's something there. Who knows? Untapped, tapped potential. There's something there. It is absolutely forbidden to diminish the worth and the value and the potential of another person. And, and Rachel shows us this. She saw Rabbi Akiva, she saw Akiva, and she said, this man I want to invest in. No Torah, no scholarship, and not even respect for rabbis. And she said, no, this person is something. I see certain traits. I'm investing in him. And with not for her, I don't know what history would have looked like. But she is responsible for giving us the Torah of Rabbi Akiva <clears throat> just by her ability to perceive the greatness of a person. So the question is, how do we cultivate this in ourselves? So, right, I had people listening to episode one and saying, okay, great. So, like, how? Where do I start? So... Number one, knowing that this is a value can really help. Instead of thinking that our goal is to diminish ourselves, which is sometimes what we've picked up from our education, our educational system, instead of thinking, well, my goal is to squelch and to make small and to dismiss and negate my needs, my interests, my desires, my dreams, because I don't really exist. If, sometimes we just think that and just replacing that mistaken foundation piece of knowledge can alone, you know, knowledge is power. Sometimes just knowing that that is not the goal and that is not a Torah value, that alone, you know, I'm pointing to here and you're going to see why in a minute in our, you know, in our frontal brain where our intellectual capacity exists, that, that alone is a, a, enough sometimes just to, to get information. Um, but, well, before I get onto the butt, I would say I personally am very moved by human potential. I was chatting with some other teachers and they were saying like, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a nature that to me, human potential is an extremely inspiring concept. If I see um, people like doing talent, like having talents and expressing talents, I get tears in my eyes, even if they're not related to me and foreign, for example, a lot of things put tears in my eyes. I got to admit, <laughs> But like, let's say, um, I remember once I, like for Cinco de Mayo, like King Super's got like a mariachi band 
<laughs> you know, it was not like moving music, you know, it was, you know, the sombreros and the, um, you know, the musk, but something just like put like tears in my eyes. A music often does. And I was like, what is that? Years ago, I couldn't explain it to myself. And then like, let's say, I don't know, like I, I, I was watching some sort of musical performance and like the drum or the drummer did like a drum solo. And like, I also found myself like choking up. And I realized now that I understand a little bit more of these things that personally for me, human potential, expression of human ability and people doing things well, is very inspiring to me. So sometimes just a simple like mind exercise, like when you see something that inspires you in someone else, turn the mirror around and say, I have that in me or else it wouldn't inspire me. And so like, um, like a feeling of being impressed by a human accomplishment can be moved inside. It can be shifted inside. So we feel our own godly dignity and then we can radiate it onto others and we can be free from the neediness of that, that begging that we were talking about. So for one example, it's just like knowing that it's a value to expand our kavod and our sense of our own honor. And then I was saying, for example, if you have an experience where you see something inspiring, so, um, that you can turn it around and say, that's beautiful. That's because Hashem wants me to expand myself. So um, another example of what like an exercise could be to like make this real for ourselves. There's a book, um, an autobiography called Lieutenant Birnbaum about Lieutenant Mayor Birnbaum. I forgot what he went by before. Did anybody read it? I I think it was Michael or whatever. So, he was a um, an American uh, young man during World War II, and he went into the U.S. Army and went to Europe and liberated the camps. Before he um, um, was deployed, he went to some of his teachers. It might have been Mike Tress. That was one of his teachers. I don't remember if this was – he was the one who said this. Um, one of his teachers gave him advice. He said, Mike or Mayor, whatever his name was, he said – you're going to be facing many challenges. You're going to be a member of the U.S. Army and life there is not a yeshiva and you're going to be faced with challenges to your kashras, to your um, morals, to your, you know, your schedule, to all your Jewish practices. You'll be faced with challenges regularly. And I want to give you something to think about when you're particularly feeling challenged and you have this inner pull, do I, don't I, should I, shouldn't I, this way, that way. He said, imagine, I know you love baseball. You're at bat. And in the stands was me and all your teachers and your parents and your grandparents on both sides and your aunts and your uncles and everybody who loves you. And more than that, all of the great Jews who ever lived are in the stands and they're watching you and they want to see what you're going to do. And Avram Havinu. And Sarah Imenu, the Avos, the Imahos, the Tanaim, the Amoraim, the Nevi'im, and the Vilnagon, and all the great Jews who ever lived are in the stands, and they're rooting for you. And they want to see how you are going to withstand this difficulty and how you are going to hold yourself strong at this time. And when you succeed, every single one of your fans is going to be standing up on their feet and cheering and screaming your name and saying, you did it. And you are going to stand there knowing that every single one of these 10,000 people is cheering for you. 
I said, it doesn't take much <laughs> for me. So sometimes I think we think like, oh, I did a good thing. Big deal. I'll brush it off. That's the way to greatness, right? Just like brush it off. Big deal. You know, don't make a big deal about myself. Our problem is we don't know what to expand and what to contract. When we make a mistake, we need to say, oops, that was a mistake. I need to make amends and let's go on. When we do something right, we need to get at that bat or whatever sport or whatever we admire and get 10,000 people and malachim in the stands and have them cheering for us and saying, this is a big deal. You just made a difference in the world forever by your choice because it's true. You did. And so it's not a little thing and we can expand our appreciation for ourselves. And that's an example of giving kavod. It's a little mental exercise. Nobody needs to know that you're doing it. You could be standing in the grocery line and you could look like you're spacing out and you could be expanding your appreciation for yourself by just picturing this scene. For example, I found this to be a very moving story and I, I've used it and it can be very effective. It's an example of how we can expand our appreciation for our choices, our existence, how we matter in the world and things like that. Now, here's a little puzzle piece that might be brand new and then it will be like really too much for right now. I'm introducing it. I'm not going to have time to expand upon it. Mirza um, Shem in future episodes in the podcast, I'm going to expand upon this because it's really important if we want to make growth real for ourselves. So our problem, I think a lot of times with growth is we learn beautiful ideas and our intellect knows these beautiful ideas amazingly, right? We could quote, you know, ideals and we can say what we know we should be doing. And we have 10,000 shoulds that we store in our intellect. And then there's a part of our brain that is our emotions. And those don't always go along with our intellect, right? Right. I know I should, but I don't want to. And deeper than that and more subconscious is our felt senses. And that is in the lowest part of our brain. And that is where things happen so fast that we don't even know that they happened. Our felt senses um, and our, our people call it the lizard brain, lizard brain, wizard brain. I don't know if you've heard of it that way, or it's called, um, you know, the, um, the, the amygdala is, is, is centered in there. And that gets kindled before we had a second to even notice that we noticed what we saw. And that's our fight or flight response. That's our instincts. That's our, our reptilian brain. Okay. So Hashem and his wisdom created this nishama, which is a part of God, infinite and immeasurable in a human body that has emotions as well. And it even has animal type of instincts, fight, flight, fawn, freeze. Okay. And those are very primitive and very undeveloped. And Hashem made that arrangement. He made that combination. So why am I bringing this up? Because sometimes I know I need to give cover to others and I shouldn't need cover from anyone else. And I should, and I shouldn't, and I could, and I can't. And there's a part of me that's just screaming like, kick, punch, hurt, you know, even if it's not a physical kick, punch, but like verbal, right? Hurt, give, give back mean words, you know, show an angry face. And that happens in our, in our lowest part of our brain. And so I'm just introducing this and I, I can't expand upon it, but the work that of any actual change takes place really in our nervous system. The felt sense is I'm just going to read it because I wrote it out in you know chosen words so I don't 
you know, it doesn't get too long. The felt sense is the part that needs to be noticed. Actually noticing sensations, not just thoughts and not even just emotions, but sensations. Hmm. I felt my throat closing. Oh, wow. I just felt my chest tightening. Hmm. I just felt a stomach ache. My back started hurting all of a sudden. Headache, right? Even anything. It could be your finger. When we notice felt uh, our felt senses, our sensations, um, they are giving us important feedback. So we can think great thoughts, but they won't actually be a part of us until our emotions and our body sensations connect to these, these thoughts. So our neshama is embodied in physical form, and that physical form works faster than we can imagine. Our nervous system consistently gives us feedback as to our experiences, and it must be addressed to bring about change. So we've learned to disassociate a lot of times with uncomfortable situations and we kind of just get out of ourselves and we feel like that well that makes us survive it does but we don't want to survive we want to thrive and so we want to pull ourselves back into our self and feel ooh, that didn't feel nice when she said that to me i didn't like that or something makes me feel diminished right now or i feel so good which is more rare um but like but we want to learn to associate and not disassociate from our experiences. Like I said, I'm just giving an introduction to this topic. I'm not going to be able to expand on it. So we need to have, if we want to try to do this work, we need to have a readiness to have inner conversations, hearing ourselves, asking ourselves, Hey, how was that for you? When that person just said that, how was that? How did you, how, what did that feel like for you? Asking, you could call it the younger part of yourself, whatever. Hearing yourself, addressing your the, the self's concerns, showing care, being able to look in the mirror with love, right? To be able to look in the mirror and to say, I love you to the person in the mirror. Not so easy. Easier said than felt. I know we all say easier said than done, but a new expression that I've learned is easier said than felt. So it's really work that goes very deep down and it's in our nervous system because that's really where the injuries to our, to us takes place is in our nervous system where we learn to, to, you know, fight, flight, freeze, fawn. And so we do need to, I'm only mentioning this because so many people work so hard to improve their midos to be good and they keep fighting themselves, not understanding that there's a part inside that needs to be addressed lovingly and to gently move themselves to the next level, not with harsh words, not with a whip or a stick or a strap, not with force, not with coulds and shoulds and have tos, but with a conversation, an inner conversation where we bring some, bring ourselves back into ourselves so we can actually respond ironically from our higher self. When we give some care to the lowest part of ourself, suddenly or not so suddenly, we can respond from the higher part of ourselves. And it's not so ironic because if you've ever had a conversation with a child who was crying, you know, you never, and you say, oh, I never. And they say, well, sometimes. But if you say, yes, I do. Don't say I never. What will they say? You never, you never, you never. As long as we fight the hurting part, the hurting part will fight back. What we resist persists. As soon as we give a little space for that to be, things open up. So there's a younger part inside of all of us, a lot of younger parts. And so when we say, oh yeah, you didn't like that. And you felt so angry right now that you wished to punch, kick, hurt, insult, you know, cause harm. You couldn't even let yourself say that. 
that will actually move you forward into being able to do this covered work. So I'm introducing the topic of the felt sense and nervous system work because I feel like it's the only way to actually make real change, true change that actually makes a difference. So um, we need to wrap this up. So I'm going to say that mitzvos are actions. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I think it also moved fast. So mitzvos are Hashem's um like they're, they're they're the roadmap. They're they're Hashem's instructions. Like, do you want to have a connection with yourself? Do you want to have a connection with me? Do you want to have a connection with others? Here's here's the formula. That's what mitzvos are. I think a lot of us think of mitzvos as a bunch of have tos, and that makes sense. It's kind of how we're taught. But mitzvos are really just physical or intellectual um, methods or in- invitations, actually, for relationship with Hashem. And we see lo sisko to do. It says in Deuteronomy and Devarim, do not cut yourself. Do not rend your skin. Do not tear out your hair. Do not deface yourself because it doesn't befit you because you have me in you. Because you are my child. You're associated with me. Don't deface yourself. Don't harm yourself. Don't hurt yourself. And don't make yourself look bad because you have this... um, this innate honor inside of you can't mutilate ourselves. We don't deface it because our godliness shines on our face. And even we're taught that if somebody is hanged by the based in, by the Jewish court, even though he, he did a crime that, you know, makes him need to be hanged. We never leave his body hanging overnight because Rosh, because the Pasuk says, kill us. Elohim taloi. It's a, it's like a curse for Hashem for a person to be left hanging. And Rashi says two meanings of that. And one meaning is it's like a king whose brother, twin brother is a criminal. So if the criminal was punished in public, it would be shameful to the king because they look alike. Who are we talking about? We're talking about a criminal, a, a person who did something that's he, he, he needs to be hanged by the court. We're not talking about, a, you know, a, a great leader, someone who carries a lot of spirituality that we can see. No, this is someone who did a really bad crime. But leaving him hanging is, 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 like, is like the twin of Hashem hanging. And that's Kivyachal. Of course, Hashem doesn't have a human form, right? But that, that, that's how, how dignified a person is, even a person who we might think doesn't have dignity. So um, Kavod is so foundational to life. And it's such a basic need. And we feed the need starting within and giving it to others because people do need that help, as we mentioned. And it it's kind of like a circle of life. And I would complete this idea by saying that we're still now in ER. And ER is a beautiful month because ER stands for Ani Hashem Rofa'acha. I am Hashem, your healer. ER is a month in which healing especially takes place. I personally experienced that. I shared that last time I spoke with you ladies. I, when I first, you know, reached out for help, someone told me, well, it's ER. It's a month of healing. And I was like, how is possibly my healing, my, that story with my, that's hip surgery that I had, um, 
it actually, by Lagba Omer, I was, I was having, having that surgery and I was on my way to recovery. So I personally connect very much to the concept that ER is a month of healing. And I've seen it more once I started to look for it. Hashem sees our efforts to, it's really to heal. It's not just to grow, it's to heal. Because if we were all healed, kavod would be easy. So Hashem sees our efforts to heal our broken parts. Everybody has broken parts. Hashem sees our efforts to heal our broken parts, and he makes us whole and complete according to our own efforts to do this. When we sense our unshakable value, worth, and dignity, we can become beacons of this honor to others. And that's one way to do our part to bring about more of Milo Chal Haaretz Kivodo, let the whole world be filled with Hashem's honor. Because human honor is Hashem's honor. Thank you so much for listening. And have a great day.